Uh, my name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, I am ready to get, in, get into the Word with you. Are you guys ready to get into the Word? Okay, a few of you are. That's exciting. So um, let's get into the Word. We are um, in uh, our second message in a series we're calling Neighboring, Love Goes Next Door. And uh, we're basing this series off of these two books. Uh, one is called The Art of Neighboring, and the other is The Neighboring Church. And so I just want to invite you to grab those books from Amazon uh, and read them for yourselves. You can go uh, more deeply into the content that we're kind of uh, using for this series. And so I'm not going to be quoting page numbers or anything, but I wanted you to know uh, that we are pulling some content from those books. But the premise uh, of this whole series is this. Um, I don't know if you realize this or not, but you live next to some people right? Um, If you live out in the country, you might live far away from somebody, but there is a point where your property ends and someone else's property begins, right? And if you live in town, like most of us, you can see the people you live next to out of your window, right? They, you see them a lot. Those people are neighbors. You with me so far? Um, These are your neighbors. These are the people that God has sovereignly and providentially uh, placed you next to. We call them neighbors. And so last week we said, what if Jesus and the rest of the Bible that talks about neighboring, what if when it said love your neighbor as yourself, it wasn't being cute or cliche-ish or metaphoric or or, um, symbolic? What if Jesus was being literal when he said love your neighbor as yourself? What if by neighbor Jesus meant neighbor. Wouldn't that change the way we live? What if Jesus meant you should love your actual neighbor as yourself? And so last week I had you fill out, do this little exercise where you looked at your eight closest neighbors, those in uh, the closest geographical proximity to your house. And I I just asked you three quick questions about those eight neighbors to see where you're at on neighboring. And and the first one was just their names, just right names of your eight closest neighbors. The second one was just basic information like height, weight, social security number. No, we didn't do that. We, we just said like some things you know about them, just basic from a distance. And then the third one was more, more deep stuff, deeper stuff about them. Like what drives them? What are they all about? What do they live for? And so um, something you would know just by having a friendship with them. And and so last week we went through this exercise to see kind of where we're at, and, and we found that just about no one in, in, in the room uh, could write all three things for all eight of their neighbors. Very few of us could do that. In fact, um, the vast majority of us couldn't even write names for eight neighbors, right? We were struggling with that. We did notice that wives were better than husbands. Uh, so you win wives, right? Husbands were like, I have no idea what their names are. I hope my wife knows their name. So um, that counts for your wife and not for you. You need to pray about that. Um, Jesus is mad at you. I'm kidding. Kind of, all right? You guys ready to, ready to get into the word? Laugh a little bit too? No, it's second service. We don't laugh in second service. I forgot. And my point with this exercise was, was this. Um, it may seem like too big of a task to love all of your neighbors like Jesus is talking about. Love your neighbor as yourself. It may, may be this big thing and we kind of get psyched out by it a little bit. But um, what I do know is this. If you're going to begin to love someone, it, it helps to know their name. It, it helps to know their name. And so maybe we start there. 
Maybe we start there with this neighboring thing and we find out names. And so as we go through this series, we want to continually bring it back to this idea um, that Jesus wants you to love your actual neighbors first. You can broaden the definition of neighbor to include others. You can expand it to include people across the city or on the other side of the world or those in the greatest need on the side of the street. You can expand that definition, but you can't do that and forsake your actual neighbors. It starts with them. And so um, you can't leave behind those that God has sovereignly and providentially placed you next to. Uh, you can't make it this big metaphoric thing where, well, I just have to love everybody as my neighbor. And uh, I just have to love everybody as myself. And when we do that, um, we don't love anybody as ourselves, right? When we, when we widen it to everybody, we fail. And we said it this way last week, that if you aim for everything... You hit nothing, right? And so we want to start to narrow this down to, to be our actual neighbors. And how do we how do, we do that? And uh, so we talked about this last week. And I love um, what I've already heard from so many of you just one week um, into this series. Uh, I've heard people taking cookies to neighbors, getting to know neighbors, asking names. I've heard uh, people talking about block parties, doing a block party for their neighbors so that, so that they can get to know everybody or at least get to know everybody on a deeper level. Tons of people uh, just told me they've been trying to say hi to their neighbors rather than act like they don't exist. Um, and that's a good start. And so I'm excited to hear even more as we go through this series. And I would love to hear um, how the Lord uses you. Um, as we do this. So, but to give you an idea of kind of where we're going, um, I, I want to talk to you over the next four weeks about four different things, four different aspects in this whole neighboring thing. So in week one, last week, we talked about the, the greatest commandment or the great commandment of Jesus where he said, love, your, love God with all that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And we just asked, what if it's literal? What if Jesus meant your actual neighbors, right? But then the next four weeks, we're going to talk about four different things today included. One is, is motives. Then we're going to talk about excuses and then rewards and then plans. We're going to talk about those the next four weeks and try to get pretty practical about how we go about doing this. And then the last week of this series, week six, we're going to turn it from, from just you to us. How do we be a neighboring church together? Not just you on your neighborhood, in your neighborhood, on your block, but us as a church, how do we become a neighboring church? And so we'll, we'll talk about that um, in the last week. So today is motives. And, and so last week, I, I said this statement about um, being purposeful in the way that we neighbor. And I want to kind of build on that. So what I said last week was that the ultimate goal can't be to make friends. It has to be to make Jesus followers. The ultimate goal can't be to make friends. It has to be to make Jesus followers. But here's the other side to that. If you live your life for Christ... The first step to making a Jesus follower is making a friend, right? So it's, it's kind of both in. Friends and Jesus followers, they're kind of intertwined. And, and so today we're talking about neighboring with a purpose. Now what's the motive behind all of this? Because I think we can, we, we can all agree that this can't just be about letting them borrow sugar when they need it, Right? This can't just be about waving when you're out in your front yard. I mean, that's part of it, but it can't be all of it. We're talking about loving your neighbor enough to share the gospel with them, to realize that they're lost in darkness and they need somebody to show them the light. Because Jesus gave us the great commandment, love God with all your heart, with everything you have, 
and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he also gave us the Great Commission, right? Both. And in the Great Commission, he said, go out and make disciples. So love your neighbor as yourself and go out and make disciples. Let me show you those two passages really quick. It's in Matthew 22 and then in Matthew 28. If you have your Bible, you can grab it. Head over to Matthew 22. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, grab your phone, your tablet, head to the YouVersion Bible app, click event or live, and you'll get all of our notes and scriptures for today. But Matthew 22, starting in verse 34, the great commandment says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Okay, so, so love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus goes, all of the Old Testament, the weight of the Old Testament law hangs on this. It's all on this. If you'll love God with all your heart and you'll love your neighbor as yourself, you will accomplish, you will fulfill the law in the Old Testament, right? So he, he puts all this weight on this one command. And then just a couple of uh, pages later in Ma Matthew 28, this is the Great Commission now, and starting in verse 18. And this is the last thing that Jesus says to his disciples and to you and me before he ascends. And so chronologically, it's Matthew 28, Acts 1 is next, okay? And so Matthew 28, then Acts 1. Look at what he says, one of the last things he says to his disciples. 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority and in heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So now we're not just talking about making friends out of your neighbors. We're talking about making disciples out of them. Jesus followers who make Jesus followers. It's not just being kind to them. It's teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. That's different, right? It's not just waving. It's something more than that. It, this is the ultimate motive. But here's the thing. If you're not careful, if you're not careful, this will be your ulterior motive. If you're not careful, it'll be your ulterior motive. And there's a difference between ulterior and ultimate, isn't there? Um, ulterior means that you're hiding it. You can't have an ulterior motive to neighboring, but you can have an ultimate motive Ulterior is, is you're concealing it. You can't be a Jesus ninja walking around your, your neighborhood, right? You can't be a Jesus secret agent concealing what your real intent is. Ulterior is secretive, concealed, manipulative. You, you can't have an ulterior motive to neighboring, but you can have an ultimate motive, an ultimate goal. Ultimate means the farthest point on a journey, the, the eventual end goal, the overarching purpose, right? Here's what I'm saying. Your, your ulterior motive in neighboring cannot be to share the gospel, but your ultimate motive must be. 
Your ulterior motive can't be to share the gospel, but your ultimate motive has got to be to share the gospel. You, you can't be the door-to-door evangelist, right? You can't be agenda-driven. When your neighbor asks, how was your Labor Day weekend? You, you can't be like, oh, I spent the whole weekend praying for your soul. What'd you do? I went to the lake, right? You can't, you can't do that. It's weird. You can't. You can't be when you're over at their house and eating dinner and your neighbor goes, hey, you want some bread? You can't be like, oh, I have bread. I have the bread of life. This bread grows stale, but the bread of life never grows stale. Open your Bible. That'd be weird, right? Your neighbor would be like, I was just talking about garlic bread, but okay, whatever. Sure. Can't do that. It's weird. This thing can't be agenda driven. It's got to It can't be with ulterior motives. Jesus said to love your neighbor. You love them with the ultimate motive of seeing them become a Jesus follower. Listen, beloved, making converts and making disciples are not the same thing. Making converts and making disciples, it's it's not the same thing. The gospel is inherently relational. Jesus was the example. John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The message paraphrases that this way. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So Jesus became our neighbor. He left heaven, came to earth, became our neighbor, made relationships, made friendships, loved us. He's the example. Here's what I mean. The gospel is best shared and received in close relationships right? Think about that. The gospel is best shared and received in close relationship. I mean, some people, I meet some people who think they're fulfilling the great commission by handing out tracts on the side of the street to strangers. Or they're standing on a box in a crowded downtown area screaming at people to give their lives over to Jesus. I, I, I meet people who think they're, they're fulfilling this, the great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself by sharing a Christian meme on Facebook or carrying a sign that says, Jesus saves. Listen, I'm not sure that's what Jesus had in mind here when he said to love your neighbor as yourself and go and make disciples. Now, don't get me wrong. Share the gospel with strangers. Absolutely. Talk to people you don't know about Jesus as much as the Lord leads. Absolutely do it. Hand an invite card to somebody at lunch today that you don't know, your waitress at lunch, and invite them to church next Sunday. Absolutely do that. But, but if that's your only contribution to this whole thing, you're doing it wrong. If that's all you're doing, you're just doing it wrong. The gospel is best shared and received in relationship, right? Close relationship. If you've ever tried to invite strangers to, to church, you know that like with an invite card or just word of mouth or whatever, if you, if you consistently do that all the time, you know that if one out of 10 of those came to church, that would be like a huge percentage, right? Like if you were knocking that one out of 10 out coming to church, you'd do it every day because you'd see people coming to church that you invited to church. You'd be pumped about it, right? But most of us, when we invite strangers to church, it's not one out of 10, it's probably like, one out of a hundred, less than that. Probably one out of a thousand that actually show up. Even less that give their lives to Christ, right? But Christianity Today, not too long ago, said that over half of people who are invited to church by a friend, a family member, or a neighbor, 
will show up. Over half, think about that. Over half of people who are invited to church by, not by a stranger, but by a friend, a family member, or a neighbor will show up. And then the statistic holds true about people who will have conversations about God, spiritual conversations about God. It says that over half of people who are approached by someone who is a friend, a family member, or a neighbor are willing to talk about God with those people. How many strangers do you meet that want to talk about God? Not very many, right? Hey, I don't know you from Adam, but let's talk about Jesus for a couple minutes. You want to come sit down with me over here? No, I don't know you. Get away from me, right? That's weird. That's weird. It's because we were built as relational beings, and so the gospel is best shared and received in relationship, and that's the way God relates to us too, right? And God calls himself our father, not just not just God the creator, God the sustainer, God the all-powerful, but God our Father. That's a relational term, isn't it? Our Father. We were built to be relational. We were, we were built to understand spiritual things relationally. The gospel is best shared and received in close relationships. Share with strangers. Do it. But spend more time building relationships so that you can eventually share it with friends. Are you tracking with me so far this morning? All right, two of you are with me. Let's keep going. Here's the thing, though. Have you, ever, have you ever driven up to your house and clicked the garage door opener? Have you ever done that? Oh, I was just checking to see if you were here. You guys here? You ever, you ever clicked a garage door opener before? Okay, uh, I don't know where to go from here because my illustration is about garage doors. So you guys, you've done that, right? Okay. Now the real question is, have you ever driven up to your garage door opener, clicked it, And then your garage door starts to like slowly come up. And as it goes up, it reveals more and more junk in your garage that you need to clean. (laughs) Have you ever done that? Yeah, me neither. Me neither. Never, Never done that. But then you're waiting in your driveway as the junk in your garage, the mess in your garage is slowly revealed like some big prize on a game show, right? Where you're just like, here's your prize. Just seeing more junk and trash all in there. Yeah, I've never experienced that either, but then you're stuck there looking at it. But then when you get out of your car, you're thinking, I gotta, I gotta clean this garage, right? I gotta clean the garage out. I gotta do that this weekend. This garage needs some cleaning. But then you walk by the junk in your garage and you start to look around and you look over to the other stall and you get the whole scope of the mess and you just go, man, I don't even know where to start right? Like, this is such a huge mess. I don't even know where to start. Hey, why didn't you clean your garage this weekend? What was such a mess? I didn't know where to start, so I did nothing. I did nothing. I did absolutely nothing because I didn't know where to start. Or maybe it's the basement you need to clean out, or maybe it's your, that your house really needs to be painted, or you've known about that for 17 years, it's still not done. Maybe when you bought the house, you had had an unfinished basement. You told your wife, we're going to get that thing finished quick. We're going to have a bathroom down there and a game room. And we're going to have all this stuff. It's going to be great. We're going to finish that thing quick. But when you looked at it, you just didn't even know where to begin. And so you did nothing. And now it's been 36 years and you're about to retire. And you're like, it seems too late to do that, right? It just seems too late. I, I wanted to, but I just never knew really how to start. Where do I start? 
This whole neighboring thing we're talking about in this series, it can feel like that. The first step is, is the hardest, right? The first step is the hardest. So what I want to talk to you about with, with the rest of our time today is a little bit of the how. How do we go about neighboring like Jesus wants us to do? And I, I want to kind of give you some steps to take, not, not a ton of them, just some broad brush, general things that you need to do so that you can start getting going in this neighboring thing. Uh, but in the next few weeks, we'll, we'll break them down and we'll get deeper into how we do this. So three things I want to talk to you about today. Um, if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, and, and our neighbors are going to be transformed by the power of the gospel, he, here's the first thing. Don't be a stranger. Everybody say that with me on three. Ready? One, two, three. Don't be a stranger. Don't be a stranger. This is going to take some bravery, some courage, but the risk is nothing compared to the reward within this, right? We're not just talking about making friends so that you can enjoy guacamole and bridge together on the weekends. That's not what we're talking. Anybody play, play grit, bridge over guacamole? No? Okay, well, you should try it. Um, so we're not talking about card games and, and good treats. We're talking about heaven and hell at stake here. We're talking about huge, the biggest stakes that you could ever have. And, and within that, we're talking about the biggest rewards you could ever have, right? A soul coming into the kingdom of God, light or leaving darkness and, and turning towards the light. So the stakes are huge, but the rewards are huge as well. And if you really believe what you say you believe about eternity, then that will push you to action. That'll push you to action. But how do we do this? Well, first, you can't go from stranger straight to friend. Have you ever met somebody who doesn't get that? That you can't go from stranger straight to friend? They're like, let's be best friends. You're like, whoa, I'm not that easy. Take me out to dinner first. <laughs> I, don't, I can't be your best friend. I barely know you. It's the equivalent of you single people going on a date, first date, and asking somebody to marry you. It's not a good idea. It's creepy. Don't do it. Don't do it. God told me that we're going to get married. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. You know how I know that? Because he had told me too. It's two. It takes two to tango. Right? So single people, hopefully you wrote that down. I didn't see any writing. Hopefully you wrote that down. You can't level jump from, from stranger to friend, right? So there are levels within this whole progression, but, but here's the simplest form of it. It starts with stranger, then it goes to acquaintance, and then it goes to friend, right? Stranger, acquaintance, friend. You can't skip the middle step. You have to go through the progression. So right off the bat, my challenge to you is that you be intentional about moving from stranger to acquaintance with every one of your neighbors, that you move from stranger to acquaintance with every one of your neighbors that God has given you. Because let's be realistic. You can't be best friends with all of your neighbors, right? I mean, if you tried really hard, you could be friends with all of them. But I don't think you can get to that BFF stage with everybody, right? You just can't, you just can't get all the way there. And if you're starting from not even knowing their names, here's what I would say. Don't even worry about that. Don't worry about deep relationship. Don't get psyched out by, oh, I don't think I can go deep with everybody. Start with just knowing people's names, right? Start with just getting into the acquaintance uh, stage from the, from the stranger stage. If you don't know their names, they are strangers. 
You might see them every week. You might wave at them at the supermarket because you know that they live next to you. But if you don't know their names, you don't know them, right? You don't know them. And by the way, I'm not talking about creeping on their mail to figure out what their name is. That's weird. Don't do that. Don't be weird church people, okay? Don't be weird Christians. I'm trying to help you with that. Every week I'm trying to help you with that. Don't creep on their mail. So I'm not talking about that. If you don't know their names... They're strangers. If you know their names, but they didn't tell you their names, they're strangers and you're a stalker. And so if you're like thinking through their name, like, oh, I know, but I know his name. What's his name again? It starts with an R. Ron? No, Robert. Ronaldo. Rumpelstiltskin. If that's you, you, they're strangers. You don't know them, right? And so you got to go from stranger to acquaintance with these people. It starts with knowing their names. Starts with knowing their names. So my challenge to you on this is to take the map, the exercise we did last week, walk through it, your eight closest neighbors, start filling out the names. You go, Pastor, but I'm not good at names. I can't do it. I'm just not, I'm not good with names. That's a cop-out, right? I mean, let's just be honest. That's a cop-out. You know people's names. Unless you're forgetting your wife's name, you know how to remember names, right? You, you remember the names of people you care about the most. That's the way life works. You remember the names of the people you care about the most. And so it's a cop-out to say, I can't remember names. It's just about making it a, a priority, right? Um, it's about going to them and saying, hey, I know we've met before, but I'm bad with names, and I forgot your name, and maybe you forgot mine. My name's Jake. What's your name? Don't say your name's Jake, because that would be weird, unless it's Jake, okay? Uh, but you say your name, and again, hey, my name's Jake. What's your name? Because I kind of forgot your name. Okay, it's Jim. Great. Now we know each other. It's about going to your, your neighbors and going, hey, I'm not sure we've actually ever met. I mean, we've seen each other a million times, but what is your name? What's your family's name? I mean, here, here's my name, right? And then caring enough to go home and to write it down so that you'll remember it, right? It's just about priorities. It's just about value. Then this amazing thing happens. Nicknames like Red Truck Guy and Mom with Five Kids and Neat Yard Lady turn into names like Jim, Susan, Diane. Now you have names to pray for and you're moving in the right direction. There's power in knowing names, right? There's power in knowing names. A name. Next time you say, hey, Jim, how's it going? And he's like, ah, he remembered my name. What was his name? <laughs> he remembered my name. And now he's working to remember your name, right? You're able to strike up conversations when you see him outside. One time um, in the summer uh, where we used to live, uh, our neighbors were out across the street, were out uh, outside and doing yard work or whatever. And so we, we, just, we were outside in the front yard, so we just took the family over across the street and just struck up a conversation with them. And I just, Erin actually is the, the good social one. I'm more of an introvert, but she's good with this. And so she goes, she, she kind of introduces everybody, makes sure we all know each other's names because she knows that I'm not going to know names, right? So she helps with that. And every, it's not awkward. Now we know each other's name, no big deal. And then we start talking. And, and what I thought was going to be like a five-minute conversation turned in a, into a much longer thing where, where these people told us that they had uh, some grown kids that were really struggling financially and needed prayer. We found out that these people were Christ followers. We found out that they had, you know, four grandkids and loved them. And one was the age of one of our kids. And, and so this whole thing happened. And all we did was walk across the street and remind people of their names, 
right? Remind people of our names. Get to know them. We just went from stranger to acquaintance in like one conversation. It's not that hard. At that level, you could even next time invite somebody to church if they don't know Jesus, right? Uh, So maybe that's your goal. Maybe your goal is to move from stranger to acquaintance with all your neighbors, get to know some names, and then get to a point where you can invite them to church. Not the first time you see them because that's weird. Just maybe after you get to know them a little bit more as the Lord leads. But it it can't stop at acquaintance, right? The next level is friend. So we go from stranger to acquaintance to friend. After you've learned the names of everyone and gotten out of the stranger danger zone with all of your neighbors, uh, then you start to look around and you go, who can I build a deeper relationship with? Because I might not be able to be best friends with everybody, but who can I build a deeper relationship with? And then just do something out of the ordinary. Just do something so crazy it's going to change your life. You ready? This just do this one crazy thing. Invite them to dinner. I know. Have you hadn't thought of that, right? Hadn't thought of that. Invite them to dinner. Just go over and say, hey, you want to have some burgers? We're trying, to get, we're trying to get to know our neighbors a little bit better. You want to come over in the next couple of weeks for some hamburgers, do a cookout? You want to come over? We're just going to hang out. I guarantee you that your, your neighbors will not run away screaming when you invite them to dinner. That's not the way it works. You're not going to get punched in the face for inviting somebody to supper. All right, it's just not going to happen. What do you got to lose? You just go invite them to dinner. Hey, you want to come? And then you do this other crazy thing that people don't like doing anymore. You give them your phone number. They already know where you live. Just throwing that out there. They already know. They already know where you live. So What's the harm in giving them a phone number so that they can contact you and tell you that Friday works, but Thursday doesn't, right? And then this other miracle thing happens. When you give them your phone number, most of the time, they will give you what? Their phone number. Now you're moving in the right direction. Now this person's in your phone. They're definitely not a stranger now. Now you can look up their name. Tracking with me? Just some basic ideas here. Don't freak out. I can tell by some of your faces. You're like, I am not doing that. I'm not giving anybody my phone number. I will never do that. Do you want to reach your your neighbors for Jesus or not? You're going to have to answer that question. It might take you getting uncomfortable a little bit. And maybe you're going, but pastor, my, my neighbors drink beer. My neighbors drink beer alcoholic beverages. Pastor, you won't believe it, but they drink beer. They do. They do. They drink beer. Pastor, my neighbors say no-no words. All the time they say no-no words. They cuss like sailors straight off the boat. They're bad people. Pastor, my neighbors do bad things. Well, yeah, they're lost, right? Maybe they don't know Jesus. How do you expect them to act? If they don't know Jesus, they better act different than you. Otherwise, it's you that's got the problem, right? Otherwise, you're off base. There'll be some things that might be uncomfortable, but remember the ultimate goal. Hell and heaven. Heaven and hell hang in the balance here. At one time, you were lost. 
And somebody who lived next to you in some way, relationally, stepped over a boundary from stranger to acquaintance or from acquaintance to, to friend and shared the gospel with you, told you about Jesus, told you about the light, told you about how God had transformed their life. They loved you enough to be uncomfortable, right? Somebody did that for you. It was probably in the context of a friendship or some kind of close relationship. So here's what I want you to hear. Doing nothing is not an option if you're a Jesus follower. It's just not. It's not on the table. Love always goes next door. Do something. You you can't afford to do nothing. And you won't do nothing to reach your neighbors if you really are a believer in and a follower of Jesus. That's where I'm at on it. You're not going to do nothing. It's a natural byproduct of following Jesus, giving your life over to him. You want to Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't do nothing. Jesus gives us this great example of all of this in Luke 19 um, with a guy named Zacchaeus. Jesus is passing through and Zac climbs up in a tree. What kind of tree was he in? Sycamore tree. And he climbed up there to see what he could see. You guys didn't go to kids ministry? All right. There's a song there. I'm not going to sing it. All right. Luke 19. Starting in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And he, Zacchaeus, hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone into the to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what? The lost. Jesus didn't have a house. He was an itinerant preacher, right? But he called out to this guy, Zacchaeus, called him by name and said, let's go eat. The problem was he was a tax collector, a thief, a traitor. Everybody hated him. And they go, I can't believe Jesus would go eat with that guy. And Jesus goes, I came to seek and save the lost. How do you think I'm going to do that if I don't hang out with them? In another account of the same story, it has Jesus saying, who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? Well, the sick need a doctor, right? And Jesus goes, I came to, to go to the sick, not to go to the healthy. Jesus' mission is our mission. Your neighbors, they have names. Get to know them. Don't be a stranger. That's number one. Number two, give what you have. Don't be a stranger and give what you have. Listen, you might not be able to fix all of your neighbor's problems, right? You might not have everything they need, but you do have something. Or better yet, you've been given something by God. The things you have, you don't own them. They're God's. You're just borrowing them. They're given to you by God who loves your neighbors. The stuff you have, the money you have, it was given to you by God, a God who puts you in a place to reach the neighbors around you. It's given to you by that God whose mission is to seek and save the lost. You're supposed to use what you're borrowing from God for that mission. So if you're going, I'm not a superhero, Pat. I can't, I can't pull this off. I can't be all things to all people. 
Now, Jesus isn't asking you to be a superhero. Instead of trying to be a super neighbor, why don't you just start with trying to be a good neighbor? Why don't we start there? Just give what you have. Use what you've been given to build relationships in the, in the neighborhood God has sovereignly and providentially and purposefully placed you in. Give what you have. There's this story um, in Jesus' ministry, and it shows up in all four Gospels when he was here in bodily form. And it's a, a story about how one day he was teaching late into the day, and there were 5,000 men there, plus women and children, and it went late, and uh, the, the people are getting hungry, and the disciples are starting to freak out, and so they, they come to Jesus, and they just say, hey, are you going to wrap this thing up or not? Because these people are hungry, right? You guys get kind of itchy if I start preaching long. Think about preaching the whole day, right? Jesus had been preaching the whole day. The disciples are giving them the, from the back, right? Uh, they didn't have digital clocks. Anyways, so he, they, he come, they come up to Jesus. What are we going to do? We need to, we need to dismiss these people so they can go get their own food. And Jesus just kind of looks at him and goes, uh, no. No, we're not going to do that. In fact, why don't you feed them? And the disciples start to freak out. They're like, he can't be serious. How can he be serious? We don't have any food. We don't have any money. There's 5,000 men here. How are we going to feed all these people? They start to kind of freak out. But Jesus says, just go see what we have. So the disciples go out into the crowd and they start to find what people have. And the story really isn't about uh, the disciples freaking out and having faith or, or, or even about the, the miracle of Jesus multiplying food. It's about a boy who becomes a hero because he gives God what he has. And so they find this boy and he, he offers them his lunch. It's just a couple of fish and a few pieces of bread. And, and they go, well, this isn't going to be enough. But they give it to Jesus and Jesus prays over it. And it miraculously feeds over 5,000 people. When we start taking Jesus' command to love our neighbors literally, when we start talking about neighboring for real and with the right motives, we can be like the disciples and start kind of freaking out. How can I do this? How can I? Jesus can't possibly think that I can do this. I can't pull this off. What I can do is just kind of a small drop in, a, in the bucket. I couldn't possibly really fix any problem. Will it even matter? But, but think about this, this miracle with this little boy. How did it happen? Did the food after Jesus prayed just start like raining down on the people, kind of cloudy with a chance of meatball style? No, that's not what happened. The Bible says that Jesus told the disciples to hand out the food, right? They put it in 12 baskets and they started to hand out the little bit that they had. And as they reached into their basket, there was more to give. As they gave out what they had and reached back into their basket, they had more to give. Are you tracking with me? As they participated in the miracle, they had enough food. The food multiplied in their hands. Think about that a second. Can you imagine? Listen, beloved, when you give away what you have, God gives you more to give. Isn't that the way it works? When you give what God has given you out, God gives you more in order to give more out. That's the way it works. You can't outgive God. When it comes to loving your neighbor as yourself, just give what you have. Give the time you have to ask them over to, to dinner. Give the next 20 minutes you have to going outside and striking up a conversation with them when you see them from your living room window. Let them borrow the tools that you're borrowing from God. 
Let the kids in your neighborhood play in God's backyard that you're using while you're here. Make some cookies. Deliver them to some neighbors to break the ice. Just give what you have. Don't worry about what you can't give. Think about what you can give. Don't be overwhelmed into doing nothing. Again, we cannot afford to do nothing because we think we can't do enough. That doesn't make any sense. Do something. Doing nothing isn't an option if you're a follower of Jesus. Give what you have. That's number two. Don't be a stranger and give what you have. Number three, because this is not enough. We can't just stop here. We can't just be nice to be nice. We can't just do this to make friends because there are good neighbors who aren't followers of Jesus, right? You can be a good neighbor and not be a follower of Jesus. So there must be more to this, right? It's got to be more than just making friends and being nice. There's an ultimate motive that drives us. So there has to be more. That's number three. Share your story. Don't be a stranger. Give what you have and share your story. But what I mean is share how God has changed your life. Because I think a lot of time, the reason you're not telling people about Jesus and inviting them to church is because you feel inadequate. You feel like you can't possibly do that. Again, you're looking at the mess in the garage and you're going, where do I even start? I don't even know where to, where to start. You're saying, Pastor, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a, I'm not a pastor. I can't answer all their questions. I can't be, be this. I can't do this. I can't explain everything. Well, that's not what you're being asked to do. Listen, you're not being asked to be a professional evangelist. You're being asked to be a witness. And those two things are different, right? Professional evangelist, theologian, pastor, and witness. Think about that a second. What does a witness do? Well, she, she testifies, right? She just testifies. She just tells the story of what she heard what she saw what she felt that's it you're supposed to be a witness so as you move from stranger to acquaintance with your neighbors you just tell them your story you tell them what god has done in your life how he's transformed your family you just begin to witness you testify and if they ask a bunch of questions you just go you know i don't really know the answer to those questions i'll try to find out for you but what i really want you to hear is that i gave my life to christ and it transformed my life my marriage is different my family is different my whole life is different you just witness that's it and then here's what you say you say come and see just just come and see but what about this i'm not sure but jesus changed my life come and see What about other religions? Great question. I don't have all the answers, but I know Jesus changed my life. Why don't you just come and see? What about the rapture? Are you guys pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? No idea. I think we might be red-trib, blue-trib, one-trib, two-trib. I'm not sure. (laughs) We're the first church of Dr. Seuss, I think. All I know is that God changed my life. Just come and see. Just come and see. You can tell how old my kids are by the Dr. Seuss reference. There are great things happening at my church right now. Just come and see. Just come and see. We start at 9 a.m. this morning. You can, this Sunday, you can ride with me. Come and see. God's changed my life. That's all I really know. Just come and see. I know sharing your faith can be intimidating. I know from statistics that just about nobody in here does it because you don't know where to start. But again, we can't afford, the world cannot afford, your neighbors cannot afford for you to do nothing. Nothing. 
Doing nothing is not an option if you're a Jesus follower. Love always goes next door. This is how you start. This is how you begin. You start by looking through that exercise we did last week and trying to figure out names. Don't be a stranger. Move from stranger to acquaintance. You start to look at your stuff and your time and your resources and you you don't worry about what you can't give. You just start to give what you have towards neighboring. And then you start to just share your story. What has God done in your life? You just share that story. You don't have to know all the answers. You just share the story and you say, come and see. Come and see. Maybe you start to think, relationally and incarnationally like Jesus did. He became our neighbor. So, so instead of spending Labor Day weekend praying for your neighbor's souls, you throw a block party and invite them over. Maybe instead of quoting scripture about how Jesus is the bread of life at dinner, maybe you just, I don't know, make some bread and take it to your neighbor. You see the difference? Listen, when you look at the mess in that garage, the emptiness of the unfinished basement, the number of walls you still have to paint or whatever it is, it can be overwhelming. You just don't know where to start. The first step is the hardest. That, that's true, but I bet also there are things in your life that you've done that you thought were going to be super difficult, but once you got going, they got easier and you were able to accomplish something, right? So with your garage, you started to make piles of where things should go and you looked around halfway through Saturday and you're like, I'm almost done. And then at the end of the day, you had a clean garage. You went down to your basement and you started throwing up studs and you got a, you got a plumber to come over and, and once you saw some walls and some plumbing in the unfinished basement, you got excited and it became more of a fun hobby than a chore. And all of a sudden you looked up weeks later and it was done. The, the, the basement was finished took a while, but you, you did it. Well, what I'm saying is that neighboring like Jesus wants us to neighbor, it's just like that. Once you get going, once you take that first step, I believe you'll see God do some things in your neighbors and in your relationships, and you'll look back and you'll wonder why it took you so long to get going in the first place. Listen, beloved, if you'll do what we talked about today over the next few weeks, We'll see more people in here than we've ever seen by a long shot. If you do this over the next few months, you'll see your neighbor's lives transformed. If you do this over the next few years, your neighborhood itself will change. If you do this over a lifetime, our community will be reshaped for Christ. And if we do this, if everybody in here does this, if we as a church figure out what it means to be a neighboring church, our world will be transformed for Christ. I really believe that. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that when you give us a command, like love your neighbor as yourself, you don't give us that command like a rule and just walk away and come back and check on us later to see if we've accomplished anything. Rather, you give us everything we need to accomplish the commands that you give us. You give us power, you give us resources, you give us creative ideas. You equip us. That which you've called us to do, you equip us to do. So God, we're thankful for that. As we look at neighboring and loving our neighbors as ourselves and we think about how weak we are and inadequate we are and how we can't possibly pull this off, you come in with your strength and you get all the glory and our neighbors' lives are transformed. 
So God, we pray for that right now. We pray for that right now. Lord, whatever you've said today, let it convict us and challenge us and challenge us and move us to action. Whatever is of me, let it fall to the wayside. But let your words haunt us this week and move us to action, God. If you're in here and you, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, just be thinking about what is God telling me through this message? Just in a crowded room, just kind of make, make it to where it's you and God and ask him to reveal what he wants you to do based on what we've talked about today. If you're in here and you need to give your life to Christ, I was talking about sharing your story and you're just like, man, I don't really have a story like that. Uh, I, I'm here because a neighbor brought me, a friend brought me, a family member has that story, but I don't really have that story. If you're in here and that's you, I just want to give you a moment to make a decision for Christ. You don't need a special prayer. You don't need a pastor to come lay a hand on you or anything like that. You just need to, to between you and God, just confess that you need him. Confess your belief in him and ask him to transform your life. Submit your life to him. And let it be not just a Sunday thing, but a Monday through Saturday thing. And then go get prayer. Talk to a pastor about getting baptized and start neighboring like you're supposed to. You don't have to know all the answers to start neighboring. You can do that today. You can do that tomorrow. Start to love your neighbor as yourself. If you're in here and you are a Christian, and when I said there's no option to not love your neighbor as yourself. There's no option to, to not go out and try to reach your neighbor. If you're a Jesus follower, you've got to care about this or you're not a Jesus follower. When I said that, you're like, ugh, I don't know because I'm pretty sure I'm a Jesus follower, but I don't really, I live my life like my neighbors don't exist. You've got that tension in your heart. Well, just pray, pray that God would give you wisdom in that, clarity. Pray that he would help you to solve that tension. Commit to him right now. Confess what you need to confess. Repent of what you need to repent of. And then commit to loving your neighbor as yourself. Then when we say amen today, when you're walking out, maybe you talk to your wife or your husband about it. You go, we gotta be serious about this. Maybe you get intentional and you, you have a meeting as a family around your kitchen table and you get a pen and paper out and you start to write down some ideas about how you're gonna love your neighbors as yourself. Maybe it gets serious. Maybe it gets serious. Lord, I pray that you would use our church and use us as individuals and families to reach this community for you. Not so that we could be made much of, but so that you could be made much of. We love you, Lord, and we give everything, all of this to you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with me? Here's my prayer for you today. May you start neighboring, loving your neighbors as yourself with the right motives. May you refuse to do nothing because love always goes next door. And may your efforts produce, a, produce lives that are transformed by the power of God. Jesus followers making Jesus followers. God bless you. I'll see you next week. Make sure you go to a life group. If you don't have a life group that you're going to, stop at the connections desk. They'll get you plugged in. But it'll be good to discuss this on a deeper level with your life group. God bless.